Well, the uh, scripture for this morning is probably unexpected. Um, scripture for this morning is Psalm 4. Uh, we were blessed to have a Jan Buchanan uh, speak to us last week over dinner, and uh, it went really well, and, and uh, people were conversing with Jan, and so uh, the second service would have been like at four o'clock. So we, <laughs> so, uh, so we, we held off on doing that, uh, but uh, did want to, to keep, since we're working through the Psalm of the Month, did want to uh, not lose the, the sermon on Psalm 4, so I adapted it to this morning. And uh, so we have that before us this morning. Uh, we'll, we've sung it uh, for several weeks now. And here we have uh, Psalm 4, that's on page 553 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 4. Now the, the superscription says, For the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. I, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Uh, this psalm is, uh, is, is, is a, a psalm of an evening psalm, and it's often introduced in English versions that way with the, uh, well, the non-biblical um, introductions that are sometimes given to paragraphs into portions of scripture. And, uh, and in the, I think in that way, it's, all, it's very helpful to, re, to remind us that it was in its original setting uh, to be sung in the evening. As uh, Marlon noted it, uh, uh, earlier this month, uh, before the introduction of it, I think the, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it, was, uh, it is often paired with Psalm 3. Uh, it's, n- it's not clear here, that uh, it's dealing with exactly the same situation, but it seems likely. That this is when David was on the run from Absalom, and uh, he writes about his lament and his distress over that in Psalm 3. And here in Psalm 4, uh, he, he is dealing with the same issue. Uh, the other is a psalm to sing in the morning during his uh, trouble, and this one is before he goes to bed. And it's a great reminder as we deal with, with the issues of difficulty and uh, uh, being uh, facing opposition from the world and even from, from others, uh, uh, maybe even in the visible church as uh, he's dealing with opposition inside Israel, a sinful opposition, uh, that the Lord has a psalm for that. 
for times in which we face great difficulty and opposition. And, uh, and so there is a reminder in this psalm uh, that the Lord knows these kinds of situations. And as we uh, will touch on in a, in a bit, uh, the Lord Jesus certainly knew uh, opposition and distress. And so uh, we have portions of his word that we can go to and know the Lord's presence with us and uh, pray for his, his uh, using of this uh, for our good and for his glory. And uh, let's see that as we work our way through. First, calling out to the Lord in distress in verse 1. Now, as I noted, the, the superscription tells us that uh, David is the author of this psalm. Uh, we're not told specifically uh, what event or time in David's life is in view here. Uh, but David is clearly in distress and he's facing the op- active opposition and the lies of, uh, of people. Uh, several events could fit here, but uh, tradition holds that, that this is to be understood in connection with Psalm 3, uh, the previous psalm, uh, which the superscription tells us was, was uh, dealing with his running from his son Absalom, if you remember that from our time in, uh, in 2 Samuel. Uh, the psalm is, is categorized as an individual lament uh, where David cries out to the Lord in distress. And the psalm also expresses confidence in the Lord that the Lord will not abandon him, but will give him inward peace as he trusts in the Lord's care and protection. Now, he begins uh, here in verse 1 by calling out to the Lord. We read, Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And notice that David asked God uh, to answer him as he cries out to God in distress. Yet the phrase David uses for God here tells us much about David's reliance and trust on the Lord, who the Lord is to him. He calls the Lord God of my righteousness, or, or in other translations and in the blue psalter, God who justifies. Now that is, uh, David knows that he would have no righteousness, he would not be justified before God were it not for the saving and sanctifying grace of God to him. Uh, like Abraham before him, uh, David trusted in God and God's promises And so he experienced salvation, uh, justification before God, by God granting righteousness to him that he did not earn. It is a gift of righteousness from God and by his grace. Genesis 15 and 6 tells us that then Abraham believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And so we have that picture of, of imputed righteousness granted to Abraham and all believers who would follow. And we know from the, the, uh, the scriptures that that righteousness would ultimately be earned by Jesus himself. And so by God's grace, uh, David has trusted in God to be his righteousness, to supply righteousness for him in his salvation. But there's also another sense in which, in which David is claiming that here. That David is... Although he's far from perfect, uh, he asks the Lord 
in this psalm as a whole to judge his actions and to see that he is righteous while those who are chasing him, who are persecuting him, are in the wrong. And and so there is that sense of this as well. David is uh, claiming this righteousness that God has placed on him, and he's he's saying that his position is righteous. Uh, Commentator W.S. Plummer writes, We are all sinners, yet we may very much be wronged and injured by the opinions, words, and actions of men. In such case, we may plead our integrity and ask God to defend the right because he is righteous. And so, and so David is, is uh, claiming this righteousness of salvation that God has supplied to him, that he's the God of his righteousness. But we'll see in, in the, the psalm as a whole that David is claiming to be on the right side here, that those who are against him are in the wrong. And David is under attack, and so he calls out for God to, to uh, be present with him, and to act on his behalf in these circumstances. Uh, Notice in the second half of the verse that David recalls God's help in the past, and he now asks him to help out in this present situation. He says, You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, we don't know what specific distress he's recalling from the past that uh, that in which God gave him relief, nor do, we, uh, nor do we really need to. He keeps it general here. But David is asking for help, and he, he bases his encouragement here on times in which the Lord has helped previously in his life. The word translated relieved here generally means uh, literally to enlarge or widen in Hebrew. And as we might say, uh, he's presently in a tight spot. And he asks the Lord to bring him out of it in a situation where it's a, a, he goes into a broad place, a place of freedom and movement where he's not stuck in these hard times. The Lord has done that before for him, and now he asks him to do it again. He asks as well for the Lord's mercy or or compassion for God to be gracious. And he asks for the Lord to hear his prayer. Now, David knows that the Lord hears him as as God hears every believer when we pray. So his meaning here is is more in the sense of please grant uh, what I'm requesting. And sometimes we do that as well. Would you hear me means more than just will you listen Will you grant what I'm requesting? And that's the sense here. And so we see David come to the Lord in his distress. And we ought not to overlook that. That he knows that the Lord is the one to go to. And so he prays to the Lord inside that relationship that he has with the Lord. And he asks for help in his time of need. And he has the encouragement of the Lord saving him granting him his righteousness, and the fact that the Lord has helped him in the past. And so all of those things apply to us as well. When we are in distress, we ought to be praying to the Lord and turn to him. 
We can do that in the confidence that we have that he saved us, that he's granted us righteousness, that he's imputed Christ's righteousness as we trusted it in Christ in the gospel. And we know that he hears us and loves us as a perfect heavenly father. And so if we can come to him in times of distress, and we can also gain strength in our walk from things that he's brought us through in the past. And that can be a great encouragement as we come to him in distressing situations today. Well, second, counsel to enemies in verses 2 through 5. Now here David turns his attention to those who oppose him and what they should do. But this counsel uh, is also helpful for believers to hear and apply as well. You remember uh, in, Abs- in the case of Absalom, if that's what we're talking about, uh, that trouble is coming from inside Israel. In fact, it's coming from his own family, his own son. And so there is an appeal uh, to, to these people who are opposing him, uh, the wrongness and the faithlessness that they're displaying in doing this. But there's also a reminder here in his counsel to them, uh, things that we can be doing as believers as well. Now, David does not dwell on what these persons have done with him uh, that have brought this about. Uh, we don't get details, and again, that's helpful for us. It keeps it more general in God's working here. But notice that David points out to them their sinfulness and their need to repent and trust in the Lord. Uh, the word uh, translated men in verse 2 is a rather specific Hebrew word, and it refers not just to men generally, but to prominent men, uh, men of, of, uh, of, of stature in society. And so the, the, the idea is that they're wealthy or, or powerful or own much land. And yet these sons of men, these prominent citizens, oppose David, God's anointed king. And notice that they show their opposition in two ways. First, they reproach David's honor. That is, that they express disapproval or or, uh, their despising of David, even though he holds the honorable position of king and has been anointed by God to to have that office. Uh, Even today... Uh, judges are often referred to as your honor, right? There's, a, there's an honor that goes along with holding such a position. Well, these men refuse to honor David, who's the anointed king of Israel. Not only that, but secondly, they show sinful character by their love of worthless things and that they aim at and intentionally practice deception. Now, we're not told how they do this, but they oppose David by by loving goals or things or power or whatever it is, which is ultimately worthless. And they deceive and they lie in these things as well. It could be that they pretended to be David's supporters and friends while secretly throwing their support to Absalom. And we know from from Second Samuel, Absalom worked for, uh, for a number of years to gain popular support. So maybe they were smiling at David while secretly supporting Absalom. And they may be lying about David to others as well as, 
having lied to him in, in feigned loyalty. But notice that uh, they clearly oppose and they lie. And notice that these, these, uh, these statements here are posed as questions by David to these folk to try and get them to think about things. How long will you do these things? How long will you be like this? And so that's meant to not only have them process it, but it also gives a clue that this has been going on for some time. This is not some sudden event that has happened, but David has been dealing with this for some time. And he's asking here, how long will you keep doing these sinful things? And so it is certainly sad and sinful for them to do, to intentionally and consistently turn on David and to do so with no good or godly purpose. And notice that they're deceiving as they do it as well. Now, we know that in many ways, David is a type or sets a pattern for his greater promised son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get a glimpse of here of what, of what Jesus would endure, yet even in a more extreme way. That Jesus, we know, had followers who eventually turned away and proved false. And we know that he was even betrayed by Judas, uh, one of the twelve and, and a friend of Jesus. And so there's a reminder here in the, in, in the life of David, but even more so in the life of Jesus, that our Savior knows the pain of, of rejection and betrayal and opposition. And so when such things happen to us, we have a Savior that we can talk to about it and know that He helps us because He has been there. He has experienced those things. There is also a reminder here for believers not to be like those folk that are opposing David. That is, that we should seek to honor our King Jesus in all that we are and in all that we do uh, by His grace and power and by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. There are those who oppose the anointed King in Israel. And let it not be said then that there are those who oppose the anointed King in Israel today, in the church, that we are to, in all things, prove loyal to Jesus Christ. And so let us be unlike those who opposed King David and who opposed, who opposed King Jesus and show ourselves to be a loyal to him and of godly character. Let us also be different from the unbelievers mentioned here and refuse to love worthless things. A worldly pursuits or power uh, that are, are that are in line here or in view here, and to be truthful for sure, and not to be those who lie or deceive. Uh, may our lives be lived to glorify uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us, and so be different from the world around us. In verses three through five, David gives counsel or instructions to these persons who oppose. In verse 3, David points out that they should know, that is, that they should recognize or acknowledge that the Lord God has set apart the godly man for himself. 
Well, what does, uh, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word translated godly man is elsewhere translated saints or faithful ones. And it refers to those who know the Lord and His grace of salvation and are set apart to live a life that glorifies Him. You know, in the New Testament, saints is translated is the, the root word behind that is holy ones. And so it's the same idea here. Those who are set apart in salvation to live for God. Yet notice that it is the Lord who sets apart the objects of His grace to Himself. To belong to Him and to be in a relationship with Him. This is the Lord's doing in His sovereignty. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1, 3-6. through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. That in His salvation, God has called a people to Himself, and so David points his opponents to this blessing. He's also contrasting the saints with these wicked persons who are opposing God and his anointed. And so in doing so, there is a warning and an invitation to come to know the Lord themselves. The Lord has set apart the godly man to himself, and sadly, you're not among them. And so there is a challenge here for them to look on their position and the sin that they're committing. W.S. Plummer writes, David virtually says to them, you have tried vanity and lies. Come, and I will show you a more excellent way. If they would turn to the Lord, they could be like David and the rest of the saints are set apart for blessing and holy living. Note another blessing that David mentions here. The Lord hears me when I call to him. Now David and all believers have this wonderful blessing and assurance that the Lord hears our prayers. And that is not something that we should take for granted because it is a privilege that unbelievers do not possess. In Psalm 116, we sing, I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon Him as long as I live. Unbelievers, as David does here, challenge that, challenges them should think on the fact that they do not have God's ear while they remain outside of the offer of salvation. They may assume that they do, but here David again calls that contrast, that he knows that God hears him when he prays. Those who oppose him, who oppose God, do not have that assurance. Then in verse 4, David tells them, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Now, the Hebrew word translated tremble uh, means, uh, means to shake or to vibrate, to tremble, uh, with the sense of doing that in anger. You know, so we, we still have that phrase, you know, someone is shaking with anger. Maybe, unfortunately, you've had, uh, 
You've, you've witnessed that sort of thing. In other words, they have strong emotions of anger as they oppose David. Now, but these feelings are misplaced as they are against the Lord's anointed king. And so David calls on them to stop and to think about their sinful rebellion against God and his anointed king. They are to cease from sinning. A hatred of God's people is certainly wrong, but here especially a hatred of God's anointed king. We're reminded here of the words of Psalm 2, which uh, speak about those who conspire against and reject the Lord God and his anointed. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so in that psalm, there is that tying together of opposition of the Messiah, the anointed, and opposition against the God who placed him in office. We know that ultimately that that Psalm 2 refers to Jesus Christ. It goes well beyond David and the other kings. And it goes uh, to, to, to point to the foolishness of opposition and being under God's wrath until you kiss the Son, embrace Him by faith, and submit to His Lordship and the offer of salvation. Psalm 2 closes, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do honor, or excuse me, do homage to the Son. Then he not become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so there is this call uh, to to recognize uh, the lordship of God and his establishing of his anointed king and for them to think about that and consider the sinfulness of their opposition. And ultimately, that's more than just about David. It's about rejection of God and the offer of salvation in the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. Notice in our verse 4 that David tells them, to meditate on your heart upon your bed and be still. And so, especially if this is directed at Absalom, his son, who persists in godlessness and rebellion, he wants him to think about these things, right? Go to bed and think about these things. Think about your anger against uh, God's anointed king. Think about your anger against God himself. And to consider this in your heart, the deepest part of who we are. And so he wants him to to think on these things and to come to trust and repentance in the Lord. Rebellion against God and his anointed is often done thoughtlessly. And it's always foolishly. But with without ado, thinking through things. And so he encourages him to do that here. Consider your position. Consider where you are. Consider what you're opposing. And come to faith and repentance. And so there is an encouragement here for those who are presently unbelieving to think on their rejection of the ultimate anointed king, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that's offered in him. Instead of being angry at God, 
consider the offer of forgiveness that's given in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. For those who have been saved by God's grace, uh, there is an encouragement here that our lives are to reflect the changes that God has made by His grace. Unlike unbelievers, let us be thoughtful and prayerful as we live this life and give consideration of our lives and the way we live it uh, in, in, in prayer and study and to repent of things that are, that are off, that are sinful, and to seek uh, to grow in godliness. Now let us study God's Word and prayerfully seek to apply it to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we have that encouragement that, that the Holy Spirit is working and will help us to grow. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so let us be those who, who are thoughtful and who seek to grow in our sanctification. And also, since prayer is mentioned here, and it's not a privilege of those who are outside of Christ uh, to, to not take that for granted, but to fully enjoy that wonderful privilege. We have access uh, to the triune God who created us and saved us. Uh, let us take full advantage of that wonderful blessing and be people who pray uh, throughout the day, uh, formally and informally, and to bring our lives before the Lord in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And so there's a reminder to, to be in a prayerful way all through the day. Then Paul writes in verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Now these last two instructions to David's enemies call them to true repentance before the Lord God. These enemies, uh, we're reminded, are from inside Israel. And so they know the religious uh, activities that are present in Israel. And yet there is something uh, that, uh, something here as uh, David calls them, not merely to do it outwardly, but to do it inwardly. These enemies are to present uh, uh, sacrifices and are to come in true repentance before the Lord. As you'll recall, the, the sacrificial system that God was, had established in Israel uh, was to picture his forgiveness of sins by use of a substitute. That was the purpose of the animal sacrifices. Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And yet, of course, the, the sacrifices were not to be done in merely an empty, outward, faithless, formal way. The external things were to be internalized. They were to, as, as David puts it here, to be done with trust in the Lord. Trusting faith is, as we've noted in the morning sermons from Romans recently, trusting faith is a necessary condition of the covenant and of the gospel promises in that covenant of grace. David himself 
sang of, of his own repentance in Psalm 51, and that it was not merely outward. He says there, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So David saw in his own life that it couldn't just be about doing the outward religious thing. It had to be inward. He had to be uh, repentant truly from the heart of his sin and then bring sacrifices. And so David is calling on those who are opposing God and opposing him to bring sacrifices, but to do so in faith, in true trusting faith in the Lord. And when they do that, then there will be uh, acceptance by the Lord as they come to him in faith and repentance in the gospel. And so it's interesting here that David is asking for these enemies of his to consider salvation, to consider right sacrifices and faith. He's calling them to the gospel that they've seen illustrated in Old Testament worship, but sadly and apparently have not taken to themselves. And again, we know that the Old Testament sacrifices point to the promised Messiah. And it is him alone that, that the sinner is forgiven and reconciled to God. And so in due time, uh, many years after, about a thousand years after David's time, we know that his greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born. That Jesus Christ is the eternal God, the Son, who humbled himself and became one of us uh, to save a people to himself. And so he fully obeyed all of God's laws, which we fail to do. And on the cross, he took the wrath of God, which is due to his people for their sins, upon himself. And he underwent the wrath of God for others as a substitute. He died and was buried, and three days later, uh, the Father raised him from the dead, showing his approval of what Jesus had done, proving him to be a living Savior. And so, Jesus is that Savior. All who trust in him, in his resurrection, his perfect life and atoning death, are reconciled to God, covered in his righteousness, forgiven by his sacrifice, his taking of wrath due to you upon himself, and the life that he has in his resurrection that he gives to us. Romans 3 says, By the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now God has made known a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift through, by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. David is distressed by his enemies. And yet notice that he pauses here and prays and, and sings about calling them uh, to think on their rebellion 
and to turn to the Lord. And so he is presenting the gospel to them, even though they are pursuing him. And so there is a helpful reminder there as well, as we face those who oppose the gospel and oppose Christ and maybe oppose us for being believers, that we should be praying for and continuing to offer the gospel even to them. Well, third, request for blessing in 6 and 7. And here David turns to address those who know the Lord and support him as king. So he changes his subjects here, his listeners. And he notes that they are confused or discouraged, distressed over what's happening. And no doubt uh, that is true. David makes a request of the Lord, seeking the Lord's blessing on his people. In verse 6, David notes the distress of God's people. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Now, uh, commentators are divided over this passage. Some people say that this refers to skeptics or cynics. But I think it's better understood as a question that can sincerely be asked in faith by believers who are supporting the Lord, supporting David but still asking what is happening and who will help us and will anyone show us goodness? As you recall from 2 Samuel, they're on the run. And that, that's a, a, a question that can be asked in faith. Who will help us? Who will show us any good? And notice that David intercedes for his fellow believers and asks the Lord to make his covenant, covenant blessings clear and evident to them. David's words here, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord, uh, echo of the pre priestly benediction found in number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And so it's an echo of that, that, uh, that priestly benediction. And so he's asking for the Lord to bless his people and to make his presence known. We're also reminded here of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? toward us who believe. And that is a good prayer for us to pray for one another, especially in, uh, in distressing times that people go through, that he would give us a deep sense of his presence and his grace toward us and his strength in us by the Spirit to know that we belong to him even in times of great difficulty and distress and to when our lives are, are disturbed by difficulties. David adds in verse 7, you have, put more glad, you have put gladness in my heart more than when grain and new wine abound. Now here David shows us that the Lord has already been at work in him, uh, placing gladness or joy in his heart, and that's even in the midst of a distressing time. Uh, we know from Galatians 5 that the joy is a fruit that God the Holy Spirit produces in us. And so uh, there is a reminder here that we are able to be joyful in our walk with the Lord 
uh, deep in our souls, even when we are in sad and distressing and difficult times. That there is a joy that's in us that is deep, that is grounded in God's grace of salvation to us, that is produced by God the Holy Spirit and not our circumstances. And that, notice, that it is even greater than when grain and new wine abound here in harvest time, as David mentions. And so he's recalling that wonderful feeling that they had celebrations at harvest time and they would have new wine and they would have grain, they would have a feast to celebrate God's bounty and his blessing of them. And he can think on those sorts of times and we can no doubt think of such times in our lives, good times with family or friends and and blessings of good meals and and, uh, abundance. And so he's saying this is better than that. That we, we are reminded by these tokens of good times that God gives us in a worldly sense of the even greater joy that's ours in Christ and that goes beyond even difficult circumstances. As we sing in Psalm 95, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. That we can do that even in the most difficult of times because he has saved us and called us to himself. And then finally, uh, point four, resting in the Lord in verse eight. Here David closes the song with an expression of the peace that the Lord has given him. Uh, Even though he's under distress and he's asking for help from the Lord and he's on the run, he is able to lie down and sleep in peace, knowing that the Lord alone is the one who enables him to dwell in safety. And he entrusts himself and his situation to the Lord and rests in that in his heart. And so he can physically rest and sleep because his heart is at peace. Now, uh, David had specific promises uh, to him that God made because he is the anointed king, uh, promises that don't uh, specifically apply to any of us. And yet there is still a truth here that even though it is sometimes difficult to get a hold of, in difficult times we may toss and turn and be anxious when we lay down to sleep, we are reminded of the Lord's uh, promises to us that he will never leave us or forsake us, that our salvation and eternal life is secure in Jesus, that he has a purpose and a plan even when he calls us to go through very difficult times, that we can think on those truths and those promises and that we can rest in those things. Peace as well is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we can pray for the Holy Spirit to make that more more, uh, obvious in our lives at certain times as well. Pray for that peace and that he would grant it at times of distress. And so psalms like this are are good to sing in such times. Sometimes uh, we feel guilty when we're anxious because we're told not to be anxious. But that doesn't magically make it go away. And the Lord knows that we have anxious and difficult times. So he gives us psalms like this to sing. That we would sing it in our anxiousness 
And so the Holy Spirit would use God's Word uh, to, to help uh, the promises of God's Word as they apply to our hearts overwhelm the anxiousness. And so we are to pray for those things and to sing psalms like this in distressing times and ask for the Lord to give us that peace. And we're reminded as we close that Jesus knows the hard things of this life. Uh, We read earlier from Isaiah 53 that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so we, we come to a Savior in our prayers who knows hard times, who knows opposition, who knows what it's like Uh, to undergo the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and the opposition that this life often brings. And so we come to a Savior who understands. He says in John 14 and 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And so there is a peace that we can have through Jesus, uh, the Prince of Peace and the one who who provided peace with God uh, for us by his laying down of his life, that we have a Savior who understands and will be close to us and can give us assurance of his presence even in the midst of difficult times. And I'll close with this this helpful summary uh, phrase or quote from Uh, commentator Dane Ortland, and he writes, Trust in the Lord. He has set you apart for himself. You are his. You have been united to his son. Tonight, you may go to bed in peace. You could not be more secure. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your blessings to us. We thank you for this portion of your word and ask uh, that you would apply it to our hearts. Uh, We all uh, recognize that we go through times of difficulty and distress of various sorts in this life and and sometimes uh, caused by others uh, who bring wrong, uh, who bring false charges or accusations or or simply make life difficult uh, for us because we're believers or, or for other reasons. Uh, we pray that, uh, that when uh, we think on such things, that we would, uh, we would remember uh, that you have called us to be righteous in all situations, and you have declared us to be righteous in Christ. And when we are wrongly uh, being opposed or undergo difficulty or uh, various sorts of of hard times, that we would come to you in prayer, that we would, we would pray for those who oppose, and that uh, we would seek to see them come to salvation, and that we would be trusting in you, and your presence, and in your purpose, that we would seek to be godly in however we face uh, uh, difficulties and opposition, and that you would be glorified through it all. And we pray uh, that we would be uh, trusting in you and knowing the peace that you give by your spirit, that we would be able to, to rest our minds and our hearts and fully trust in you. And so we ask that we would do all of these things uh, for your glory 
And we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.